the collective nightmares podcast we are sociologists who talk horror my name is marshall smith we take a film every week and we dive into the social responsibility the ideology the discussion of ideas within the film and horror movies are a great genre for that in particular it's the field that they play in and uh and we enjoy playing And I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And yeah, I don't know if I have anything to say aside from what you've said in your little intro here about this film, especially because it wasn't exactly horror. And I always leave when we watch a film that's not exactly horror, missing the horror a bit (laughs) and wishing it had been a bit more horrific. I, I think that horror the fear that is involved in a good horror film can often do a lot for whatever argument you're trying to make in a film. And so when that fear is missing and that visceral emotional experience is missing, sometimes I think it makes the argument a bit lacking. But anyway, this film is not so much (laughs) a horror film, so I don't know how much that applies. This episode, we watched the 2016 film Always Shine. And we did that mostly based on it being Sophia Tikal's. I chose the film. I got to choose the film this week in conjunction with, with Laura, who gets veto. But I drove the selection because it was, it is Sophia Tikal's film prior to Black Christmas, which was her remake of Black Christmas, which is my favorite horror film of last year. And I really wanted to see this. And the synopsis from IMDb is... Best friends Anna and Beth take a weekend trip to Big Sur, hopeful to reestablish a bond broken by years of competition and jealousy. Tensions mount, leading to an unexpected yet inevitable confrontation, changing both their lives, dun-dun-dun, forever. There's actually an ellipse, an ellipsis here in the uh, (laughs) the synopsis. It's very dramatic. Um, uh, Yeah, we appreciate you joining us. Like us, subscribe us. Tell a friend if, who you know who is a fan of horror movies or a fan of sociology. <laughs> That's probably a less likely <laughs> situation. Anyway, anything you can do to, to help us would be great. Our entire catalog of episodes is up for free on our website, collectnightmares.com. We're on iTunes, Spotify. You should be able to find us most places. Spoilers for this film four come to daddy you should watch the film first we dive right in we encourage you to do that avoid spoilers and just be ready for the for the discussion we'd love not mommy dearest but good night mommy good night mommy yes oh yeah spoiler for good night mommy which is a i i very much enjoyed that film and we are not gonna take off our clothes and discuss this film All right, well, let's talk Always Shine. (laughs) Indeed, indeed, let's. 
So when did you start wanting to see Always Shine? Because I know we talked about doing it as a podcast at school. I think I started wanting to see Always Shine because I became enamored with Mackenzie Davis from Atomic Blonde and then Terminator Dark Fate. And I don't know, she's done something else too. So found it through that. And then when Sophia Tikal did Black Christmas and we watched that, then that, or when I found out that that the director was, was also doing that reboot or remake or whatever you want to call it, then I was like, okay, I'm sold. And so I suppose last fall, I probably looked and seen, even though Black Christmas wasn't out yet, that that it was coming up and that she was doing it. And so, so yeah, that's, I'm sure that's how I found it. I'm sure I found it through, through Mackenzie Davis. Who's the kind of bully. Anna. Anna. Yes. (laughs) Correct. In the, in the film. And so that's how I found it. And then, I mean, Black Christmas is, I would have to say the Black Christmas is my favorite horror film from last year for me. You know, that's, that's my, that's my jam. So since then, I've really wanted to see it. And the hesitation is that Tikal directed this, but did not write it. And she both wrote and directed Black Christmas. And having just either listened to that episode, or maybe I just remember this, but I remember specifically crediting and us talking about the writing and the screenplay being what what grounded and served as foundation for how excellent the film was overall. And I'll just say that this film is no Black Christmas. Sophia Tikal didn't write this, but her husband did. Did you see that in the credits? He's her husband, and he's also the man who played Jesse, who was the boyfriend later on. I did not see that until like literally just now when you were asking me, and I was looking to see what else Mackenzie Davis was in that is maybe where I would have found found about her. And then that's when I saw, I didn't know he was, I didn't know they were married, but I did just see that, uh, I did see that he was, he was Jesse in the film. I didn't know that to call and, and he are married. That's disappointing. (laughs) So you didn't like it. It was fine. It was just, it was no black Christmas. And I, I didn't necessarily expect that, but I expected maybe, um, an arc or, or some sort of clearly identifiable to call us on their trajectory towards Black Christmas. And I was willing to accommodate or allow for the fact that this was, was her first feature film. And so, if, you know, it might not be the polished, tight, exceptional film that Black Christmas was. But uh, I, there were parts of the film, I, I, this is, I feel like we've talked, we've had so many of these this year. I felt like there was so much potential and so much promise in, in the film. And there were moments where I was like, oh, this could be really great. And it just never paid off for me. I feel like, who knows why that is, but that's, that's mostly how I felt. I agree with you that the execution didn't pay off like it could have, but I actually thought it was a really neat idea. I liked the setup and I liked the message. And I, I just, if you had told me beforehand, here's my idea for a film, here's what the messaging is gonna be. I think it was actually pretty clever but it it wasn't executed in a way that I experienced that. And I actually think the writing of the two main characters really hurt their argument. Maybe we can get into their argument more and I'll I'll try to make that point more strongly. But I did think it was a cool idea. I, I would actually say I see her 
on the trajectory toward Black Christmas because it was such a clear argument. The whole film, I thought at least, was crafted around making a point. And it was a, it was a neat way to do it, really. I, uh, I mean, it's so hard to say the direction was there. I agree with you. It was, it was, uh, shoot, I had this in my head. Now I can't think of it. It was single white female meets um, something. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what I think it was about. Okay, please. And then I, see if you agree or not. Because I was actually surprised that you called Anna a bully at the beginning. Because to me, the, by calling her a bully seemed to counter the point of the film in a way. And so maybe we're on different pages here for what we think it was about. But it led with that quote about women being whatever, the decoration, basically. Fruit bowl for the... Some flower vase, <laughs> yeah. flower pot. Yes. <laughs> you, you've exactly captured the image that was in my mind, which is why I didn't actually give the quote. It was like decorative, something or other. I'm picturing yes. a tablecloth. I don't know why. Hold, hold on, hold uh, on. So for for the <laughs> listeners, the opening quote is: "It is a woman's birthright to be attractive and charming. In a sense, it is her duty. She is the bowl of flowers on the table of life." From John Robert Powers. Secrets of Poise, Personality, and Model Beauty. Okay, so we've got Beth, who is kind of a doormat and basically does what the men in her life want her to do, or people maybe in general, but also the men in her life want her to do, and gets naked as an actress even though she doesn't really want to. And she gets a lot of praise from men for essentially just giving in to whatever it is that they want. She's, she's doing what they want and not really asserting herself. And so that's what they want. And then we have Anna, who is characterized by the men in the story, including the boyfriend at the beginning. I don't remember his name, but Beth's boyfriend as a bully and as somebody who's you know too opinionated. And basically, I think Anna was supposed to be the protagonist, sort of, in the sense that she is actually being a person, having opinions, uh, showing when she's upset, expressing her feelings, not doing what other people just tell her to do. And that's why she doesn't get the career that Beth gets. And that's why the man at the restaurant isn't interested in her the way he's interested in Beth. And so she's, because she's actually being a person, the men in the world don't like that because she's not just being the pretty bowl of flowers on the table or something like that. Right. And so she realizes this and it's painful for her to watch Beth get all of this acclaim and have the man at the restaurant want her and be, you know, whatever, have her picture in the magazine and all that kind of thing. And so Anna kills Beth and then takes over Beth's <laughs> persona, but, right? She puts on her clothes, she goes to the bar, she starts acting like Beth and essentially not having a, a personality, not having her own wants and meets Jesse, I guess, who happens to be the writer of the film. And Jesse thinks she's great and has a very similar relationship with her that Beth has with her boyfriend at the beginning, which is the woman is there to serve the man's needs and make him feel special and important. And he's thrilled and he's like, oh, this is so great. You're like the perfect person for me. And, you know, it's all lovely. And that was essentially it, right? Like she, she was learning that the way to get ahead was to give up her personhood. And that's how she would get acclaim from men. I actually, I like that as a setup. I think it's cool. I think the execution had trouble 
and the biggest trouble I'll give it, I won't go on this road now, but I'll just say the biggest trouble I think was actually how Anna's and Beth's characters were written, I think really hurt the messaging of the film. But that in a nutshell, I thought that was neat. Is that what you got out of it too, though? No. <laughs> Didn't this just happen where there was some other film that you figured this all out and I was somehow clueless and lost? Except well. the one, the death one, the one about the cycle of life. The sun and the, no, the sun and the darkness. Oh, maybe. Just from last week, you had this whole gender theory. <laughs> that was less about the point of the film, though. I don't think they were trying to, well, I don't know, maybe they were. All right, we don't need to relitigate that. <laughs> All right, you, you go listen to that episode for two hours of deciding on that. So... Are the tears from Anna at the end then supposed to be her realizing that she she directed her anger at her friend and that was incorrect? I'm not sure. I agree. I'm, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, she gets probably caught at the end. I don't know if she's upset because of what it's doing to her life or because of her friend or I, I don't know. How about this? I ask because my concern is that the message of the film, the only person in the film who dies is Beth. And so we're in the arena of women being socialized to see one another as competition for the attention and of men and only some women are let through the gates by the, the men who are gatekeepers and if we're going to kill one of those two women, we need to sort out whether or not the film is critiquing that those constructs that pit women against one another rather than women bonding together to challenge men. Or if the film is like, or if the message of the film is something else or what, what else would it be? It would be, or the message of the film, I guess, could be that, Anna has the realization that that is what was happening. And so at the end, when she sees that her friend is dead and she's had that experience interacting with Jesse to get a taste of it and realizes it's not all it's cracked up to be. If it's then a tragedy and she's crying because, Oh my God, I realized that, that I've fallen into these same pitfalls. Okay. That's a very different that's a feminist, progressive, critical message. Whereas the other is just, it's something much less, either it's a much more superficial argument about, oh, you know, women cater to, to men and men are the gatekeepers and that kind of sucks, which that'd be fine, but that's certainly not a particularly interesting or new or message with any depth. I appreciate how you sorted all that out. I don't know what the fuck I thought the film was about. Do, do you want to respond before I? Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. say that my experience of the film very much was that the men were the villains in the film. And I thought the men were actually written really well in that they were subtly creepy. They were icky. I didn't like those interactions and they were really uncomfortable when the women were interacting with their boyfriends. And I'm talking about boyfriend at the beginning and then also Jesse at the end, especially, oh God, the scene where Jesse is talking to Anna and saying like, oh, you're jealous. And like, oh, it just, it turned my stomach the way he was doing that. I thought the 
the insidious nature of how men play into this kind of dynamic without overtly being jerks was really well done. You know, it, it was, I was sure that they were trying to critique these men and I was sure that it made me uncomfortable and squeamish and I did not like those characters, but it didn't feel over the top in a way that hurt their argument. So that makes me think that there was nuance there, I guess is all I'm saying. I, I like your interpretation of why Anna was crying at the end. And I didn't catch that when I was watching it. I don't think it was, I wasn't super clear on what the ending was meant to convey, but I, I think what you're saying, it could be true. And if it is, I like that. But I do think that's consistent with the rest of the film. Okay. I just want to be clear that I'm not saying that that's it. I'm asking, or I'm saying that it could be one of those two options if not others, and depending on the answer to the to that question, or depending on which of those two options, it could either be a argument with some weight and depth and uh, interest, or it could be a pretty superficial, fine argument. It's not it's not retrograde, but it's not exactly moving things forward. I think the way the men were creepy leans some some weight behind the fact that it that really may have been the argument. Because I felt like it was subtle. And I, I, that just to me seems to indicate a more nuanced argument overall. I guess my first reaction or, or my struggle with that is, but none of the men are, are actually vilified. We, we don't have any, they don't face any penalties. None of the, none of the men face any sort of, uh, what's the word? Oh, they... Sanction? That's not the word I'm looking for, but they're not ever... They don't, but I think we have to look at, and we can look at two things in horror films, right? We can look at overtly whether somebody is sanctioned, which often means killed or hurt. And then we can also look at the place that the audience is sitting in. And I was just so sure through the whole film that the place we were in as an audience was really being critical of these men. I mean, every, God, from right at the beginning, you know, when, when Beth gets up and the boyfriend says, what are you hiding your body from me? immediately I was just put off by him and the way he oh. interacts and the way he, he was the one who called Anna a bully, I, be, I believe. And the way he's criticizing Beth's friends and just the way that Beth interacts with him, like clearly he's in charge in a way that is just super creepy. And then he's also like needy at the same time. And Jesse was doing the exact same stuff at the end. Oh, I just couldn't stand him when he was saying that Anna was jealous. I could not stand that scene. It was terrible. And the whole thing about being, Oh, I'm celibate this month. And Oh God, just all of that was so painful. And I mean, it was painful because I think we as an audience were clearly being critical of the men. So even though they didn't get reprimand, I mean, something can be, can be a, a heroic journey where the villains get hurt or it could be, I guess, a tragedy, like you're saying, or horror films don't have to end with good prevailing for them to still have been good and characterized as good by the film. No, certainly not. Certainly not. However, oh... <laughs> However, so Anna is absolutely, like you said, independent, strong, complete, assertive woman, particularly resistant to the condescension or the demands of men, at least in the beginning. And in the beginning, Beth is submissive and deferential and to particularly men, and she, so Beth in being deferential and we'll just say it more hegemonically feminine is more successful and, or, and is very successful as her career is taking off. And Beth, who is not, 
who is unwilling or not conforming to the hegemonic expectations for women is struggling to the point where she's, she's really desperate and has very little advantage. And so these two women who re- represent these ideas come together and, and Anna tries to downplay her success and Beth is jealous of it. And you resentful. got him flipped there, but yes. Did I, did I flip names? Just, just a second ago, yeah. Oh, shoot. So what, what is it? So Beth tries to downplay her success, and Anna's resentful. Is resentful. Okay. Jealous. And, and then we have the scene with the guy at the bar where Anna, where Anna f- is flirtatious and seems to to try to take on this hegemonically feminine role and it still doesn't work because when she goes to the bathroom beth comes out and the guy is still asking her out i guess she's sort of what is she trying to do she's trying to perform hegemonic femininity but she's not very good at it because apparently she's still too curious and even just having enough self to question (laughs) a man even if it's about him that's too much and then, I, I don't know if she, she, I don't think she was even at that point trying to imitate Beth. I don't know about I imitate Beth, she, but she was definitely flirtatious in a way that. She was flirtatious, but I think she was just being herself in the sense that she was telling him she liked him. She was asking questions, being interested in things. I think that was just more, it was like a different avenue, but the same type of rejection that we got at the beginning with their careers. So she's not being whatever. She's, she's not getting the approval because of how she is and how she behaves and because she like fully embodies herself. Okay. And then we have the scene where we establish that Anna is actually the better actress. So it's not about talent. It is specifically about something else. So we've isolated the talent issue that that's not what is controlling their careers. And then they have the, they run into the guy on the hike and we find out that, that Beth hasn't, um, mentioned this to Anna and it does seem to be a, a slight or an undermine. She also hasn't sent her reel to her agent. So she's, she's not helping her friend in ways that she could and she has excuses and whatever, but ultimately she's not doing it. And at that point is when Anna kills Beth, right? And then Anna, like you said, takes on Beth's clothes and, and her persona and has a romantic connection with Jesse, the dude, the guy, the like you said, who supposedly has a vow of celibacy, but they fuck anyway. And they go to some random party for no apparent reason. And uh, she runs away, gets lost in the woods, wakes up and sees the, her friend's body being carried out and cries. I, okay, so, all right. So thank you for letting me walk through all that. So now we're back to the question of, since we don't have any sanction or punishment for the men throughout the entire film, any of them, any kind, the question is, is the film still critical of the men? Somehow, how, 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 I don't understand how that is. Just because they seem kind of creepy? Like, so what? That's every guy on, in every Hollywood movie. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm lost somewhere. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just am not there i'll just say my experience of the men throughout the entire film that part felt clear to me i agree that i wasn't really sure what the final scene meant i felt like i got the overall idea the film was trying to make but 
things felt sloppy at various points or I wasn't sure what emotion I was supposed to be feeling or, or whatnot. But with the men, I was solidly on board the whole time at what I felt like they were trying to convey with the men, which was this sort of subtle, men are going to be happier if you let them feel important and let them feel like they're in charge. And they're also super insecure at the same time. And which I suppose all of that comes from the same place. And so just the relation, I thought the men were just across the board creepy in a way that we as an audience were supposed to get that that was like the point, especially in combination with that first quote that the film opens with that women are just supposed to be the decoration. And then you've got all of these scenes of men essentially not valuing women for having any substance, just valuing them for basically sitting there. You know, I mean, I just thought the, it, the dialogue was so written to convey that. I'm thinking of Jesse having a conversation with Anna sometime later on in the film. And he says something like, you know, I, I feel like you're just perfect or you really understand me or I want you to understand me. And all she ever does is sit there and say nothing. She, she's just completely empty, right? She says, I don't, oh, I don't know. Oh, maybe that's, you know, oh, I could, I'm not really sure. Like she just doesn't ever give an opinion. She doesn't ever assert anything. And he thinks she's perfect and she really understands him. And like, he's just, he's fabricating this whole thing. And he was so skeezy. I mean, everything about him was so skeezy. And it was clearly from when he pulled up along the side of the road. And that was actually when he saw the, that was when he saw Beth, right? When Beth was walking and he gave Beth a ride home. Wasn't that him? Or was that a different man? I thought that was the same. I thought that was the bartender. Maybe it wasn't. But same thing. The guy I, I, leans I over. It must and have he's been like, him, I guess. It was, it was a long-haired, I think it was him. But anyway, he leans over and he's like, hey, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm, not, I'm just trying to be nice. I'm just going to give you a ride home. Like just, oh, all the men's dialogue was just seethingly awful. I think it was intentional. I think that was the argument it was making against the men. I agree with that. All right, he says, I feel like you really understand me or something. (laughs) I feel like I could want that. You're just a really special person, Beth. So I I don't disagree with you on that. I agree. The men are universally portrayed as various levels of creepy or controlling or just not really interested in the women as whole people. And that's fine, but that's where we're back to, okay, that's great, but uh, how about this? Let me present this a different way. Um, if this were Black Christmas, <laughs> Anna and Beth would have had, gone out chasing each other, headed out, argument on the patio or whatever, and Anna would have been like, you know what, fuck this. Why are we fighting when it's all these men who are having our having this at now let's go butcher all these guys and we can start our own film company and you keep your clothes on and well, whatever, you know, like, (laughs) which for me would have been like, okay, here's a very clear, we're going to critiquing men. Beth could still be kind and sweet and authentically. So, and that would be fine because that version of femininity is fine. And Beth could have still been, emphatic and agentic and coarse and that version of femininity is fine and them coming together is a powerful yada yada great but when anna kills beth and her only the only that that only translates to her success and the fact that she gets to sleep with skeezy monk wook dude and i'm gonna say one more thing which is for me 
the tears <laughs> of this are to me probably as ambiguous as the holding the hand and come to daddy. And if I'm I knew that's where you're going, <laughs> did you? And if I am going to rant and tirade against come to daddy for not pulling their shit together to actually take a position and, and argue and tie their film together, there's no way I can let this slide because the tears are ambiguous. Either she's crying. It's like, Oh, you know, I lost my friend. Great. Now I get to go be her and take over her roles, but it sucks. I lost a friend or it's, like I said, her having this realization that I got sucked into this women being pitted against each other and, and I can't go back now because my friend is dead, but it's not, there's no clarity there. I suspect it's the latter. And here's the best argument I'll give for that. that That's what you said Anna's, about come to daddy. <laughs> in Anna's new life with Jesse, right? As in after she's taken over Beth's persona, it does not go well for her. That's not a triumph for her. It's not that she's suddenly figured out how to live. It's bad and Jesse is awful. And why did she sign up for this? And so it is a triumph I, for her. That's what she wanted, right? Or that's what, at least what she thought she wanted. That's what she thought she wanted. And I think she realizes she doesn't, you know, I don't really know who she's sad for at the end. And I think your critique really holds that it should be super clear in the film that, the fact that Anna and Beth are pitted against each other is a tragedy too, right? That needs to be clear. And that's not really clear. I mean, there's commentary earlier on in the film where Beth talks to Anna about having been a bad friend. And then there's the tears at the end. And there's, there's the thing about Beth being a liar and Beth didn't like give the tape to whoever, whatever it was. So Beth wasn't helping her friend in ways that she maybe could have. And then Anna kills her, which is clearly like, so there's, there's struggle between the two of them. So we know there's, we know there's tension between them, but it would have been better to have that really hammered in that that tension is itself a tragedy and a result of everything else the film was about because everything else the film was about was absolutely critiquing this masculine view that what you want from a woman is for her to basically not exist and be the whatever (laughs) thing of flowers on the table or whatever it was. I mean, most of it's there. Except if we consider the fact that we could also read Anna as a more masculine character. She fails as a more masculine character. What, what is it? How, how so? What does that mean? She, she doesn't, well, I mean... She fails in that she doesn't have a career? Yeah. Well, she's not succeeding through those traits that I assume you're calling more masculine. No, she's not. But But if we see her as... She's not succeeding because of those because of the masculine, more hegemonically masculine, traditionally masculine traits that she embodies as a woman, but as someone who is engaging in characteristics that are more traditionally associated with masculinity, that is what also kills Beth. So now we just have a bunch of masculinity that kills Beth, and there's your movie. That's not so I'm not saying it's perfect. <laughs> I'm certainly not saying it's perfect, but I think, I think a good chunk of it was there. Let me say how I think it would be better. Are, are you just being and nice I, because if we message to call, you don't want to sound like a terrible person? <laughs> I have not. I honestly <laughs> okay. thought it was a cool idea. But here, let me, I'll, I'll tell you, I think 
your critique of really needing to address the relationship between the two women and needing to clearly call that, call that tension out as like its own sort of function of this system and the male influence, I think absolutely is, is right. I think they probably would agree with that, but they didn't make it clear enough in the film. And so I think that's a, that is a definite point where it needs to be addressed. But my main critique actually was just that the characters of, of Beth and Anna, I thought were written a little bit problematically to make this argument. Yeah. So Beth, I thought was too meek. And how do I say this? Oh, you know what? Okay. I'll start with Anna. Yes. Anna was more assertive and more aware of herself and more willing to speak out and go against what men wanted her to do. But I felt like Anna did actually also come across as, how do I say this? I would like her to have been the protagonist in a way where I didn't feel critical of her. And I did feel critical of her in some ways. She seemed a little bit too, I don't know, unbalanced, a little bit scary at points. Like like her emotions were not in check in a way that I'm not trying to speak about like appropriate views of femininity, but I just thought she as a character seemed a bit easy to tip off edge in a way that I didn't really appreciate. I also thought some of the scenes that she was in, like with the man at the bar, I actually thought they were hitting it off well. Like my read of that scene as a viewer was, oh, she's like suddenly more interested in the man. And so again, she and her friend are not connecting. They're supposed to be on this retreat. But as soon as a man enters, you know, Anna's interested in getting his attention and she's ignoring Beth. And so that's like sad for Anna and Beth. But I didn't think that Anna and the man weren't hitting it off. And looking at that scene, what I would certainly think is, well, the man's going to be interested in Anna. She's, they're having a conversation. They seem interested in each other. The fact that then it turns out he really wanted Beth because Beth was quieter and going to do what he wanted or whatever. I felt like that was an oversell of their argument. Like it made it super clear what the movie was trying to convey, but I just thought that was a poor writing of characters. I didn't think that Beth was convincingly successful enough like, I felt like she was, she, all, they both seem pathological, maybe is what I'm saying. I thought she was too meek to the point of, it didn't feel authentic that she was getting as much praise and success as she was. I think she could have been a woman who was willing to give up her values and do what men wanted in a way that didn't also make her feel quite so like pathologically doormatty. And I think would have sold her better as someone who was achieving, because I just didn't buy her achievement as much. And I think Anna could have been strong and independent and aware of herself in a way that was actually less kind of unstable is the right word I want to use, but she seemed, I don't, there was just something about the way she was characterized as like screaming at somebody. And then she just seemed really not the prototype, I guess, of what I would like to say should succeed. And I wanted her to, I wanted, I think they could have pulled that off, you know, and that scene, I just thought, showed the scene in the bar with the man I thought really showed their flaws as characters as how they were written as characters because I just didn't buy it I didn't buy that he wanted Beth who sat there and did nothing in the corner and that he was so uninterested in Anna because she was asking a question about the retreat he was on like that just didn't feel right at all I think my judgment is clouded by my intense crush for Mackenzie Davis (laughs) Because I'm sure the other actress is, she's a very lovely, beautiful person. But yeah, I'm like, I'm like what are you doing, dude? You're, you're asking out the wrong, uh, the wrong person. That, that all being said, that aside, it, you just said a lot. But somewhere in there, 
you got me thinking that that is even more problematic because because why because uh because the the hegemonic the traditionally feminine beth is killed so can't we read that as a referendum on that so great you get a little bit of success and and that's you're still just subject to i I don't know what but but you're killed and the person who was uh, and Anna, who is the independent, vocal, whatever we're saying, not hegemonically feminine person, she doesn't triumph either. There is no triumph of of either version of femininity. And I also worry that it plays into the the like bad girl, good girl division that is so problematic. I mean, that comes out of, or, or is most prominently seen in in teaching about rape culture where if you divide women into good girls and bad girls or, or ignorant or she should have known better or whatever, then you separate women into those who deserve protection and care and the, the interference or the shielding of masculinity or whatever it is. Typically it's like, Oh, well, cause it's, it's talked about particularly with like fraternity and sorority groupings where if some woman is, is partnered with a fraternity guy she's considered sort of off limits for questionable advances or sexual advances in general, which protects her from the likelihood of being, being assaulted. And those women who aren't in that, then it's like, well, you should have known better. And I, you know, that doesn't map exactly on Anna and Beth, but we still end up with a, we still end up with the woman who is, performing hegemonic femininity is dead and the woman who's resisting feminine hegemonic femininity like you said still doesn't have a triumph and is in the sense of okay she got took up with some skis ball but she she didn't like get a part or she didn't get some great acclaim or some success or her agency even if we're going to say her agency is killing you know if she were a representation of a more modern a more empowered femininity, it could be interesting to have her kill a hegemonic femininity and then, and then rise to the top, which could totally be a message of like, we're getting rid of this, these expectations, these archaic expectations of femininity. Here's the model. Now, those are the women who are going to succeed, but we don't have any of that because at the end she's, she's sad and crying too. So there is no like triumph of femininity. And if you're, if you're, juxtaposing that against this really, I'm going to say superficial guys suck critique of masculinity. If it were a really intense critique of masculinity, but there was not really a great triumph of femininity. Okay. That, that might be okay relative to one another, but when you've got a real shallow accomplishment of femininity for the, for the woman who survives and you've got a, a shallow superficial critique of the masculinity i i guess i just that's where I, that's why i left feeling the way i did about the film i was like uh, okay and then at some point here i'd like to get into the underutilized opportunities that they could have explored in the film hearing you say all that it did and i think we're back even more so in come to daddy territory than i realized when you made that reference because like come to daddy well okay <laughs> I'll say this and then I feel like we can move on. But like Come to Daddy, 
my emotional experience of the film was in line with arguments that felt morally upstanding. And so I'm willing to be a lot more lenient about these flaws because to me it was clear what they were trying to do. But, and, and, and I will say, unlike Come to Daddy, the opening quote of the film definitely makes it clear that yes, th that is roughly what they were trying to do. Whereas in Come to Daddy, I think you made even a better argument when I went back and listened to it than I thought in the moment when I was talking to you that it come to daddy really could have been read exactly backwards from how I read it in a way that isn't a huge stretch. Like I could see that, like I said, listening to you in the podcast episode. And in this case, no, like you can't totally flip it and say, Oh, this was actually just anti feminist, whatever, because the quote at the beginning sets you up that there is an intention behind it that is clearly on the right side of morality, I guess. But what you're saying about it being a relatively weak argument and an argument that then is hurt by the fact that there's all this lack of clarity in places where there should have been more clarity, I would agree with that. I think because my emotional response to the film was so in line with what I felt like they were trying to do, and that fits how we started the podcast episode. I was like, oh, well, clearly it was obvious what they were doing and, and you didn't come into it with that experience. So I think I'm willing to give it more leeway just because of the experience I had in watching it. And I, I get that you're not. And I, I think we can at least agree on the fact that even though they, their intentions certainly weren't terrible is not on the table now the way it was with Come to Daddy. But I think their intentions were good. They didn't play them out clearly enough. I agree with that. I'm, I'm going to remain a more harsh critic because I, I think what it does is it, it means the it means the argument is really left with without much teeth. It's left superficial and it's left um, uh, what bite is there is not, is not digging in. It resonated more for me. Yeah. But like I said, because I was on from, from right at the start, I feel like I was on the road that they were leading us down. See, that's funny because right at the start, I was totally invested and that's interesting too, because now I think that's a great segue because for me, what that means is what I saw was they started real high bar and just kind of slowly went downhill over the rest of the film. And so setting it up that effectively was actually worse for me because they didn't, they didn't capitalize on it. And I think you're giving what, what I hear you saying is there was enough there at the beginning to propel you like you could surf the wave. And for me, it was, you laid out some really awesome pieces here and then eh. <laughs> in my extraordinary articulate way of <laughs> presenting that it petered out. Uh, that's a terrible expression. It, uh, it fizzled. I thought it was a unique take, honestly, what Anna represented in the story. I liked when I realized that she was femininity that was not constrained by men telling her what to do or that she wasn't going to listen to them. I, I thought that was actually really cool. And, and that made me very curious to see where that argument was going to go. And so once I realized that's what she was, then it was really interesting to see her fail. And it was interesting to see her dynamic with Beth. 
and see how Beth was succeeding and she wasn't and how that was playing out with the men around them. And that just reaffirmed that argument. So I actually thought that was really cool. And when she killed Beth then and took on Beth's persona, that was sad, but made sense. Like it totally fit the argument. Like, okay, now she's going to, she's going to try to be the way she thinks she needs to be to get success. And what are they going to do with that? And then when it went poorly with Jesse, that was didn't go poorly good. with Jesse. For her, it did. I mean, I felt like no, my- she wanted the attention of men. She got rejected by the dude at the bar. And this time she gets the attention <laughs> from the dude at the bar. It's, it's success within the diege- diegesis of the film, within the narrative of the film. That's winning. Yeah. We're right back to come to daddy. So like, it's not success Bye. because she was sitting at the table with Jesse having those conversations when he was being clearly a horrible creep. And she was obviously like super upset about that. But okay. So we could just agree to disagree on this, but what were you were going to say something about, what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say, I agree with everything that you said, except uh, it was squandered opportunity. It wasn't momentum that, that carried their otherwise milk toast argument through the rest of the film this is so come to daddy and it i'm my blood is i'm trying to keep my blood from from boiling again so from the the quote great the opening scene where where we're being stared at eye to eye direct close-up tight close-up of beth's face and the first thing we're met with is are you willing to take your clothes off it's a horror film. It's obviously poorly written and it's terrible dialogue. And the real question is, are you going to get naked for camera? We can't have some actress who comes in at the last minute and decides, no, I don't want to do extensive nudity, yada, yada, yada. And then we're juxtaposed that with, and then we have this scene with her, with her boyfriend, whatever his name was, where she's not going to reveal her body and or she covers herself on the way to the shower and he tells her you know i could look up a hundred movies with you naked in them if i wanted to right now anyway so why are you hiding from me or whatever which is yeah totally shitty and terrible and then we have anna who is in this exact same tight close-up staring straight at the camera taking on this this quintessential situation where women are underestimated and exploited and disregarded because supposedly they don't know about cars and she's being manipulated and she's standing up for herself. We, we have this perfect contrast, which establishes those characters wonderfully. And then we have the dynamic of the jealousy, as you said, but, but the only thing I guess ultimately so what is my beef then and so then we have the scene where she's reading her script and we have this tension building of this jealousy and this animosity of anna trying to figure out why is best succeeding and and can i play into that and maybe i will try and play into that with this dude at the bar well it still didn't work and now i'm really upset and on top of everything let's let's make sure that i'm actually the better actress still and i am and all they're going to do with that, these archetypes of, of two different kinds of femininity is we're going to have one kill the other and then she sleeps with the bartender? Not to mention the fact that... <laughs> not to mention the fact that if you're going to open a film with discussion of 
the pressure for nudity for women in films and you're going to have a running motif of sexual exploitation and whether or not you're a whore and whether for doing it and what that means. And you're going to have a character who is emblematic of that. Fucking put her naked on camera. You know, Beth should have been naked on camera. That's who she is. That's what she does. That's who she is as a character. Give us the fucking scene. Do it even more interesting. Do it in a way that is, is like the I spit on your grave where she's like naked on screen, but she's like challenging the viewer. She's not taking it on or play with that. I just, all of that was, was presented and then just not ever. And then we got, I, 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 that really upset me. I, I just, and then, like you said, there's this, there's interplay between the two women that was very single white female of Anna's taken on Beth's kind of aesthetic and personality. And then we have, after the murder, Anna comes out and Beth is in the position on the, and she keeps seeing her in her position. What, what is all that about? There was, that wasn't ever, that wasn't ever, I mean, that would have been such a, there was another moment there where I thought, there was another moment where I was like, oh, this is, she's going to be one person. These are going to be two, this is going to be a mommy dearest or not mommy dearest, goodnight mommy situation. And, and Anna is who Beth really wants to be inside and doesn't ever get to explore that. So she goes to the mountains and then she can let her inner self come out and do whatever she's going to do. I just like all of those things. I, and I did have a high bar from black Christmas because everything with black Christmas that they set up paid off. And I just, I mean, I know that was only like three or four things, but I just listed three or four things that I think they set up and then never did anything with. And then why these bizarre segues where the voice voices slowed down and the, these pulses and flashes of shit that I, agree. You know, I, I freeze think- framed through some of those and they weren't, Event Horizon, if you go in and you freeze frame through shit, shit is fucked up imagery and, you know, all kinds of crazy shit. This, it was like, just, it wasn't anything significant. I, so uh, part of my issue is, is definitely, and why I'm, I think I'm not being as generous as you are, is I'm judging it for what it didn't do as much as I'm judging it for what it did do. And I feel like you were very much more focusing on what it did do and whether or not it did that well. And, and I'm also, I'm also basically like taking points off for, for stuff that just was left by the wayside. I agree with a lot of that. And I think there were a lot of sloppy red herrings in there. I think having Beth in the exercise clothes on the porch was very much one of those that was meant to confuse you in this thriller kind of way, like what's going on. And then you realize later on that Anna killed her. And I assumed then that Anna was just seeing Beth because she felt guilty or she was haunted by what she had done. Or tell, tell there heart. was some, yeah, yeah. And there was a flash in there somewhere. I don't remember where Anna sees something that reminds her of, it reminds her of someone being assaulted somehow and it freaks her out and it's just a flash of something. And that maybe that's what she had done to Beth and that's why it scared her or something. And so, I mean, I, I think, I think those pieces were not well done. I agree with that. Speaking of red and herring. I asked, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Speaking of red herring, they have this Iceland trolls, whatever. 
red herring screenplay. And yes, I understand that it's supposed to be a terrible screenplay, but that's a perfect opportunity to do something else meta. And when you open your film with a meta, we don't know if the protagonist is speaking to us directly or if she's breaking the first fourth wall or if she's speaking to somebody else. And then we learn that she's speaking to people in Hollywood about acting in horror movies. And she is, and we are watching a horror movie that she is starring in. You've opened your film with meta critique and then you don't take advantage of that shit. Like you said, that was perfect. Speaking of red herrings in your scripts, what's your name, whatever, Levine, that's a red herring. And it's not one twist. If you're going to make the sixth sense or something cool, have your red herring. Short of that, I don't know. I I wanted more. Thank you for letting me interject that. (laughs) I agree. So I, I feel like you still had one other direction you wanted to take this that we haven't hit on. Is that right? I think it was probably the clothing meta thing. Okay. I think that's probably what it was. Those are two things, really. The clothing thing is one, and then the meta, you're set up to do a, to play with genre expectations and acknowledging a film within a film, and you have actors within the film who are also actors. I will say this, and I don't think it's just because I have a crazy crush on, on Mackenzie Davis. I thought both of them were great. I think it's, it seems like a really challenging thing to do to, in a film, act well in the sense that you're looking like a not a great actress without, you know what I mean? Like there's two different layers there of you have to act convincingly that you're not a great actress without just seeming like a bad actress <laughs> or actor. I, I actually have to say, I thought a lot of that was, was really well done. So I think the acting and the direction was was pretty capable. I got that going for it. Maybe I agree. I, I actually don't think we're, I don't think we're drastically in disagreement. I don't, I don't really. I don't think this has come to daddy. I think it's, I mean, that's a useful point of reference, but, but yeah. I wish I had thought about the grade before we had our conversation because now I'm, I'm having a hard time parsing out my own thoughts on grading from your extreme dislike for it. And I wonder if that's pulling it down. I know I would not have graded it super high because as I came in saying it was, I think it had a lot of cool potential, but I think it had some flaws that made that execution really not very effective. And I would still absolutely stand behind that. I don't know how far I want to ding it down because I do think the overall message was good. And I think I thought the idea was actually unique and interesting. I mean, the funny thing is, Laura, is that I actually really didn't dislike the film. It was fine. I kind of enjoyed it. I appreciate it again. I'll just say the acting and the pacing and I still had anticipation. I still really had hope for the overwhelming majority of the film that they were going to be able to pull it back. And and as you have said before, quote unquote, nail the landing. And I I just didn't think they did. So so in, in an odd way, I wasn't... I mean, whatever. Daddy's a whole different thing. I understand that I got some sort of emotional issue connected there. I didn't like hate it like that. I just, I kept waiting for them to come back to these themes that they'd set up or to, to clarify things or to, or for it to turn into a, 
you know, ironically, this, I would never, let's see how it's characterized on IMDb, because I would never call this a horror film. Drama, horror, mystery. I would call this drama thriller at best. I kept thinking like, okay, now's the part where Clueless Boyfriend is going to show up and start being scary or she's going to have to defend herself or this other guy is going to show up and there's going to be some sort of, I mean, I know you dislike the, the chase, but I was like, give me a chase or give me some cat and mouse or give me some, I'm hiding with a knife and I don't know if somebody's attacking me or there was never any of that sort of suspense at all. So my expectations did not serve me well in this case, but you're on degrading, right? Yeah, I think so. Unless okay. you have yes. something else you want to. No, that's, that's cool. Let's, yeah, on a grading. I'm, I'm floating in the B to B minus range. I wouldn't go lower than a B because I think the intentions were good. And to me, the intentions were clear. But the execution, like I said, was flawed. And so I'm debating if, if B minus is lower than I would give, but I'm just being pulled in by your argument and I should go up to B because that's where I really feel like I belong. Like if you had really, but then part of that is actually accurate that if you had really liked it and you had gotten the same messaging out of it, I would be more inclined to bump it up because I would feel like my experience was clearer and more ubiquitous and like what the film accomplished. Whereas it really does make me question that. I mean, I know I said that and come to daddy as well and it's true that if you get a grossly different take, that makes me question the effectiveness of the film because I know you were watching, paying attention to the same things I was. So yeah, that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm in the B2B minus range. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, there's, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Best I could do is like C plus. Um, and I don't even know if I really want to do that. I feel like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick at like C minus. I just... I'm still stuck in the, even what it did well was, was not that effective or it didn't have that much depth. It just didn't have the that much meat on it. And I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Uh, and I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so afraid I'm going to open like a giant can of worms in this analogy, but oh. I'm going to, going to do it anyway, even though I feel like the podcast is basically over and I should not say this. I'm going to say it anyway. I remember having the exact same reaction to Get Out when we saw it, which was that it was a good film, but I felt like the argument it was making was actually not super deep for what it was saying. And I actually remember you making specifically the argument back to me of, yeah, but this argument's being made in a film and that's so outstanding that you would even be making that argument. And I was saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, it just seemed very, very high level. Everybody knows this argument when you have the people at the party saying whatever sort of stereotypical things I don't remember because it was so long ago but the stereotypical things that they were saying it was just it was a very I didn't feel like the argument was super nuanced but I absolutely agreed that yes it's still a huge accomplishment to have this argument in a film particularly like a blockbuster film that's getting wide reception and actually a good film for other reasons as well so I would still stand behind that but I think in this case, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't super deep and it was, it was absolutely flawed. I think the biggest flaw is really what you pointed out with the relationship between the two women. I think that not being parsed out more clearly is a, a really, really big issue. But even so, I feel like it, it was interesting. I mean, it was just an interesting setup to have the idea that women being vacant was what would get them success. And that, was, that wasn't entirely shallow. I thought it was enough to drive a film, actually. <laughs> I'm still getting over my shock at your <laughs> comparing this to Get Out. <laughs> I'm not 
saying it was as good a film as Get Out. But in terms of depth of argument, I don't oh. know that it's that much shallower. Ineffective. Um, yes. I, I'm just going to pretend you didn't make that comment. But let me think about it. I could go along with that if either if Beth had realized had a realization as to this and and maybe the the story arc or the character arc was her shifting to become more like Anna if Anna and Beth had had bonded together and they'd stayed similar but together they were able to triumph and overcome to where they could both be successful Anna getting movie parts, Beth getting parts beyond just the horror and horror films. If, if there was retribution or, or, or not, I can't think of the word. Uh, I still can't think of the word. I started the podcast trying to think of it. Sanction, you said. Yeah, but that's not, the, dang it, that's not the word I want to use. It's a word you've used quite a bit. Reprimand? Yeah, maybe that's it. Yes, if the if the men had been reprimanded more strongly, or even if it ended exactly how it did, but it was clearly a tragedy, and Anna was sad for what had like Anna was sad for the fact that she had taken her aggression out on the wrong person, and that was clear. Yes, any of those, if any of those things could happen, I, I could totally get on board with what you're saying. Although I have to, I have to acknowledge, or I feel compelled to acknowledge that. Off the top of my head, I can't specifically think of a horror film where the the woman who is the icon or the symbol of hegemonic femininity is... What were you saying? Was the argument that was enough for you to carry the fact that Beth... Something helped me out? Oh, oh, that... The the way that women can get ahead is to basically be non-existent and just do what men want them to do. And essentially it, it was the emptiness because I don't even, I didn't even see Beth as exactly representation of hegemonic femininity. Although I think that is a component of it. They amped up that component so strong that it was really the lack of self-concept, self-awareness, anything that was so, so, so strong. Like Beth didn't, she didn't do anything and therefore she achieved all of the success because men just elevated her up the ranks because she served their purposes of being pretty and standing there and essentially being empty. And it was like that. She was willing to get naked. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that emptiness is what really got her, her success. I could do a high C minus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm solid. Like I could do a B minus. I can do like a 72 instead of a 70. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Do we have to agree? Is that part of the rules? No. Just- no. I right. Actually, I don't, we don't have to agree at all. I, I find it interesting that we don't disagree more, more, more frequently, not more on magnitude on this one in particular. I mean, in the big scheme of things, you know, C minus to B minus isn't that big a deal. We're not, I'm not in the lower depths of failing and you're at the you know, be whatever level. I don't think we're actually that far apart and that's fine. I I will credit, there were a lot of things that were were done well. I think her direction to cause direction was was excellent. 
like I said, I think acting was excellent. I thought the costuming was was really quite well done. It, it held together as a film. It just the the ambiguity and, like you said, the execution was really the the piece that. And I'm just gonna pin it on Levine here that that the writing just wasn't it wasn't it wasn't tight. Yeah, so. I agree with that. I absolutely agree. So, so yeah. All right. Well, I was sort of some game theory in choosing this because I was thinking, so we considered, what all did we consider? Well, I still want to do, I'm thinking of ending things because the title has me hooked. The title on that Reddit post that you sent has me really interested. And it's new and that's cool. Oh, Can I just say one thing on this film in closing? I still will stand behind the fact that I think the three sentence description of this film is really cool. I think it could have been made into something pretty neat. It just oh, yeah. wasn't. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it was a cool <laughs> idea, I think. All right. Anyway, moving on. Again, that's my beef is I think it was a cool idea. And I think the, the bones were there for like half of it. And then they got sidetracked or whatever. But yeah, that was kind of my game theory. I was like, well, one, when am I going to get to just carte blanche, choose a film? <laughs> and two, we just did the We Summon the Darkness, which is popular and on streaming and recent and current. And so I was thinking, you know, otherwise I might have chosen the I'm thinking of ending things because because of those reasons. But And then The Man Bites Dog. I don't know. I That was so torn. So torn. I was torn between that. I was almost gonna just go back into the lighthouse too but i was like we've been doing a bunch of white men directors let's do something so whatever i overthink all of it anyway i appreciate you being willing to take this on and do it you're more than welcome to choose whatever you want to choose next time and we'll keep keep going forward let's Uh, do i'm thinking of ending things unless we come up with a better option in the meantime okay yeah that sounds good Antebellum is still coming at some point. And then we're into festivals, which we we should figure out scheduling for that. <gasps> Antebellum is the 18th. Oh, on what? Uh, uh, I don't know. Coming soon. Streaming? I don't know. Uh, we can think about that. I don't know why I'm so... Oh, I do know why I'm so excited about seeing that. It's from... I think it's from Monkey Paw. It's from uh, Peel's production company. Anyhow. Hmm. We, right, we got to well, well, we'll look at festivals, yeah. too. This has been our discussion of Takal's Always Shine. And we appreciate you joining us and listening. Horror films are our collective nightmares. I got myself into this mess, Laura. I've tried to do some quippy scheme to to introduce these. I find it admirable, Marshall. <laughs> You'd think I would at least consider how I'm going to do that before I get to the moment right here. Like, I'm trying to do it on the fly. Oh,
oh, I'm not even ready to do that yet. Let's let's start our discussion and see if this stone turns into a troll. I don't hate that. <laughs> the more I think about it, it, it took a few seconds there of thought. Okay, good enough. That's, I don't hate it. I'll take that. It's pretty much how I felt about the film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how I do enjoy our discussions. <sighs> that was fun. And you know what? I was just looking at reviews of um, Come to Daddy, or not Come to Daddy. <laughs> what was it? I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. And maybe I changed my mind about wanting oh, no. to do that. Are they bad? No, some of them are really good, but it sounds like it's going to be long and possibly weird and possibly one of those, like they didn't give you enough reason to care about mm. the scenes throughout. Like we've done, I feel like we've done too many of those recently. And also I don't know if it's actually violent or if it's just going to be dark and like, it might be too far off our normal thing. And I'm just not, this one was a little bit in the direction of inaccessible and kind of slow where I wasn't really sure what was happening and also kind of not horror. So I don't know if I want to do another one that might fall into that category next week. I think we should do something. I agree with that. I appreciate you pointing that out. And when you were saying that at the end of the episode about, excuse me, you said something about missing the violence. I don't know, but I was thinking, yeah, we're back we're back to a film that's not straight up horror. I mean, we did our last house on the left episode. So we, we have at least a few in there and prisoners definitely had some violence. I mean, we did, we've, we've done, we've done some creep has creep is very classic horror. So we, some of the darkness is horror for sure. And so that's Mm -hmm. cool that we did that, but I'm all for, just something that's you know hunt 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 folks down and kill them or good night and good luck <laughs> it's a different has a different meaning when when you're in a horror movie podcast right <laughs> hope you don't die by sunrise <laughs> I still have to say creep was like the creepiest horror experience I've had in a very long time. And it surprises me. I wonder if it was the film or not. I really can't tell, but it was funny that feeling of like not wanting to go to bed at night and feeling like something's going to jump out in the mirror behind you. I just got that so strongly after seeing the first creep, not the second one at all, but the first one, the candy man reboot is coming. Speaking of monsters. That's great. Well, we definitely have to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I miss doing this in person. I mean, I'm so glad we still get to do it, but I miss doing it in person. Yeah, I mean, well, we know my uh, my risk aversion is less less intense than yours, so I, I would do it in person, no problem. But I totally get that you don't want to do that. Not yet. It's fine. Are you are you teaching on campus? Mm-hmm. Is it's going okay? You think? I'm not sick. <laughs> Sorry, I guess that was... Anna kills Beth and then takes over Beth's... 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 <laughs> and... Sorry, I, I guess two four-letter na- four names. I can't fucking remember them. Um, and Anna would have been like... 